Hey, welcome everyone. Great to be here with you. If you've got your Bibles, grab them and open up with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter five. If you do not have a Bible today, raise your hand. One of our ushers will come and get a Bible to you. If you're in one of our Bibles, you'll find 1 Thessalonians five on page 988. It's gonna be more towards the back of your Bible. My name's Chad. I'm one of the pastors here at Shelter Cove. Hey, if you're a guest with us for the first time, welcome. We are so glad to have you here, a part of our family this morning. Also wanna give a big shout out to those of you joining us online, whether it's through our app or through our website, or even those of you on Facebook right now. So great to have you all with us as well. Uh, Before we get going here, just wanted to let you know of a quick way you could help out the high school ministry. We're gearing up for our Mexico mission trip, and we're looking to lock down some auction items for our big auction fundraiser. So if you're a business owner, or you're just really good crafting and building things with your hands, doing gift baskets, we would love it if you'd consider donating something to this auction. There's more info in your bulletins on how to do that. But want to get back to our series at hand today. We're in a series called Impact. As Jeremy said, this is our word for 2017. We want to see God impact our lives, and we want to see him impact the lives of those around us. We pulled this idea right out of Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more, able to do abundantly more, than all that we could ever ask or imagine according to the power that's at work within us. And we've been talking about the different facets of what that's gonna, of what that's gonna entail, of what we're gonna need to do to see God really impact us in meaningful ways this year. Today, we look at the impact of prayer. What I wanna do is read 1 Thessalonians 5, and then I wanna tell you about why prayer is one of the most difficult things to preach on. So would you stand with me as we read 1 Thessalonians 5? Very, very short text for today. Depending on your translations, it's gonna be either two or three words. Verse 17 begins like this. Pray without what? Ceasing. Well, you heard the Bible, let's pray. Father, Father, I do just want to sincerely ask for your help now. I want to ask, Lord, that you would help me. I want to ask that you would help my friends here. Help us, God, to see and to hear in ways that we've never seen and heard before, God. Open up our hearts and minds, Lord. Show us, God, what what you want for us. Show us, God, who you are. God, if this is just me up here talking, if this is just me, then this is gonna fall drastically short. At best, I might be able to motivate for a little bit of time, but really affecting heart change, God, I I just can't do that. And so I pray now, Lord, that by your word and by your spirit, you would do a mighty work in hearts. You would do a mighty work in minds that we'd be able to go, God, that, that was undeniably you. So I pray, Lord, if, if you just need to get me out of the way, do that, Lord. If, if you would be so gracious to use this time for your glory, I pray that you do that, God. In the best way I know how, I just ask for your help. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. As I've taught over the years on different subjects, what I've found is that prayer is one of these subjects that's very, very difficult to speak on. And rather than try to explain to you why, what I'd like to do is maybe just demonstrate uh, why this is such a difficult thing to speak on. And here's what it's gonna take from you. All it's gonna take from you is a little bit of honesty and you raising your hand. I promise you, we're not gonna embarrass you. We're not gonna like hurl insults at you, make you stand up in front of everyone. I just need you to be honest and raise your hand. So I wanna start with this question. How many of you, by just 
just raising your hands, would say you've heard, you've heard a sermon or you've heard some kind of like teaching on prayer before. Would you raise your hands? All right, if you don't have your hands up, we just read a verse that said we should pray without ceasing, okay? You've got no excuse. So put your hands back up. Keep your hands up, all right? So I want you to look around. Look at how many hands are up. Now, how many of you with your hands still up would say, I've heard maybe multiple teachings, multiple sermons on, on, on prayer. Okay, so I saw maybe two or three hands just drop. Okay, go ahead and put your hands down. Now, this next question I'm gonna ask you, this is where I need you to really be honest, all right? Once again, this is a safe place. We're not gonna insult you. We're not gonna embarrass you. But how many of you right here, right now, despite having heard things on prayer before and heard teachings on prayer before, how many of you would honestly say, my prayer life is not where it needs to be? If your hand isn't up, we know that you struggle with pride and we'll save that for another sermon. <laughs> now, now, did you see how many hands just went up? I mean, almost everybody that said, yes, I've heard sermons on prayer. Yeah, I've heard teachings on it. And yeah, my prayer life isn't where it needs to be. This is what makes teaching on prayer very difficult. Because I could tell you about all the Bible verses in the scriptures that go, here's how you should pray and here's what it should look like. There's over 650 of them. I could tell you how Jesus models prayer for us. I could tell you about how men and women do the miraculous when they resolve to pray. How Peter raises a woman back from the dead. How Hezekiah defeats an army of 185,000 vicious Assyrian soldiers just by praying. But I'm worried you've heard sermons like that before. I'm worried you've already heard those things before and it didn't affect, it didn't impact your prayer life. So maybe what we need to do today is, is try to dig down a little bit. It's try to get a little bit deeper into our hearts than we normally go and try to, try to root around in there to find what is keeping me what is keeping me from prayer? If I've heard teachings on it, if I know kind of the theoretical stuff on prayer, what's stopping me from praying? And that's where I wanna try to spend the bulk of our time today. Before we get there, I wanna make sure we all stand on the same ground, make sure that we all have the same foundation of what prayer is and what prayer is not. And this is where we'll start today. What prayer is not, the first point in your notes says this, prayer is not tapping into some impersonal force. Okay, so my Star Wars fans out there, my wannabe Jedi Knights, where are you? Um, this is a great concept for the best movie series of all time, but it does not work with God. God is not some impersonal force that we kind of uh, meditate and tap into. This is not how prayer works with the God of the Bible. Secondly, in your notes, prayer is not um, creating some outcome by just positive thinking. It's not manipulating a circumstance or creating an outcome by just thinking positively. This is a wildly popular idea right now. And it was made very, very popular by the book, The Secret, published back in 2006. And the whole point of The Secret was that if you project positive thoughts into the universe, the universe will return positive outcomes to you. The secret of The Secret is that it's a crock of you know what. It gypped a lot of people out of $15. Here's what's really dangerous about this kind of thinking. Number one, it just doesn't work. And if you don't believe me, try it. Okay, just think positively. Think positively about having a million dollars show up on your doorstep and see if it works. But secondly, the dangerous part about this kind of ideology is it turns man into God. 
We get to manipulate our circumstances. We have ultimate power over the universe. By our own minds and by our own intellect, we can make stuff come into existence. I think this is why we're so drawn to it because it kind of strokes the human ego. This is not how biblical prayer works. And last but not least here, prayer is not convincing God to do what we want. Prayer is not trying to strong arm God into doing something we want. It's not trying to trick God into doing something that we want. Um, when I was a young kid, we used to go shopping at a grocery store called Stater Brothers in Southern California. And in Stater Brothers, there's a little section on one of the aisles that has really cheap toys that are like, for a seven or eight-year-old boy, it's just like heaven. Cap guns and sticky hands and little race cars. I mean, it's just brilliant. And me and my brother, when we go shopping with my mom, we're always trying to figure out how can we trick my mom into getting us these toys. So we had a couple different techniques. We'd play it cool, you know? Don't immediately go to the aisle, but help mom shop. Here, mom, let me grab the milk. Here, mom, let me get the apples and the broccoli. You know how I love my fruits and vegetables, mother. And then as we just casually walk by that aisle, oh, mother, look, a sticky hand that's green. Perhaps we could buy that. The other one was just shady, man. It was just shady. We called it the slip and hide, all right? We would take one of the toys, hide it behind our backs, and while my mom's looking at something, we would just put it at the bottom of the cart, bury it on top of like the eggs and the bologna and stuff. And by the time we check out, it's just too late. Like, it's already here, mom. We got you. You might as well buy it. But I think sometimes with prayer, we, we sort of do this. We're trying to crack the code. We're trying to figure out, okay, what do I need to do to get God to do what I want? What's the right formula to pray? What's the right verbiage to pray? What's the right thing that I need to do? Maybe it's, I need to string together some moral behavior. So I go, hey God, I've been a good boy this week. So do what I want. This is not what biblical prayer is. On the flip side, here are some elements of what biblical prayer is. Biblical prayer is two-way communication. Two-way communication with us and the triune God of the Bible, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's communication. So Psalm chapter four, verse three, Psalm chapter five, verse three, two verses out of a score of verses that talk about how God genuinely hears us that despite all the noise of the cosmos, the stars and the planets and asteroids and comets, despite all those things, despite all the motion and the chaos on the subatomic level, despite thousands of different languages spoken across the globe, God hears us. Father, and he hears. I'm right here. I'm right here. And I think for a lot of us in the West, we, we get that. Okay, yeah, I understand God hears me. I've heard that for years, but maybe what we struggle with is the other road of communication because it's a two-way street that God wants to speak back to us. So the prophet Samuel in 1 Samuel 3.10 writes these beautiful words, speak, Lord, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes will say that the wise man goes near to God to listen rather than to be hasty with his words. How well do we do listening? This begs the question, well, then how does God speak? How does God speak? And there's a couple ways that he speaks. He speaks through the scriptures. He speaks through the scriptures. This is one of the primary ways that God communicates with us, through the word of God. He uses different circumstances. He uses conversations with people. The Bible will describe God's voice as a still, small voice. Sometimes the Lord will just kind of speak to you in a very personal, quiet way by just letting you clearly know this is something you need to do or this is a conversation you need to have. 
And it's kind of hard to put into words. It's that still, small voice. Now, here's the one that I get asked all the time. Does God speak audibly? The question is, is absolutely, undeniably, the answer to this question is yes. Yes, he does. The Bible's full, full of times where God speaks audibly. But I'll be perfectly honest with you up here. He's never spoken audibly to me. Never. Be awesome if he did it right now, because it would make my preaching sound way cooler. but he's never spoken audibly to me. And the question that people always come to me is like, man, I would, I would be so much more likely to believe if God just spoke to me. If he was just like, hey, Chad, I'm here. Quit being dumb. It'd be so much easier to believe in him, right? Why does it seem like he's just painfully quiet sometimes? This is a really good question. And I think the answer to this question is found at the end of Matthew and at the end of Luke. Because here's what happens. Jesus has resurrected from the dead he shows himself to 500 different witnesses. Over 500 people see him, hear him, they touch him, they eat with him. And he's on this mountain giving the great commission to his disciples. Here's what I want you to do. Go out into all the nations. Go into all the nations. Teach them about what I've taught you. Baptize them. And then the gospel of Luke records that Jesus ascends into heaven And the gospel of Matthew records, some people believed in him, but other people doubted. The dude just floated into heaven and people are like, I don't know, man. I don't know. He's alive to over 500 witnesses post-mortem. You can touch his wounds. You can eat with him. People are like, I think I just had some bad food last night. I just don't think I'm seeing this. So maybe God is a little bit slow to speak audibly. He certainly does it. But maybe he's careful to speak audibly because he knows that we're really good rationalizing away the miracles of God. In fact, Jesus in Luke chapter 16 will say that if people don't hear his word through Moses and through the prophets, they won't hear it if a man comes back from the dead and speaks it to him. So maybe God's just a little bit careful to speak audibly because he knows we're really good at excusing miracles. But he nonetheless speaks. And so in our prayer lives, our prayer lives should be characterized by times of listening. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And learning to discern his still small voice. Moving on here in our notes, prayer in the second point here is a time of worship, a time of thankfulness, a time of confession, and a time of supplication. Now this word supplication is just a big fancy Bible word for asking. We ask the Lord for things. We ask him to provide, we ask him to give wisdom, we ask him to take care, we ask the Lord for a whole host of different things. But prayer also is a time of worship. We compliment the Lord. We do not compliment God. We do not worship God because he has a fragile ego and needs our compliments. We worship him because worship's a good, gentle reminder for our souls. It reminds us about the goodness of God and how he's worthy of our praise. We thank him. We offer up gratitude to him. Confession. Confession is a real time of prayer. Now, depending on your church background, you may have a little bit of a warped view of confession. It's not your fault. You're a product of those that get a hold of you first. But I want to tell you clearly what biblical confession looks like. Because some of you may have been taught that your sins aren't really forgiven unless you go to a a, a priest or a pastor or you verbally confess every single sin. 
That sounds exhausting. I'm tired just thinking about that. What that would breed in the human heart is untold amounts of fear, insecurity, and anxiety. Did I just sin? Do I need to confess? Uh Oh, did I just blow it there? Do I need to confess? And the gospel does not work like this at all. That's a wicked form of legalism. Here's what the gospel teaches. Here's what the scriptures teach about God. You ready for a big, big word? I'm gonna teach it to you whether you're ready or not. Omniscience. Say that with me, omniscience. Oh, brilliant. Omniscience means that God knows everything. He knows everything. So this means for you personally, you have zero, absolutely zero secrets before God. You've got a lot of secrets amongst people. You've got a lot of things that you keep pretty close to the chest with friends and family, but you are laid bare before God. You are fully known and exposed before God. You've got zero secrets before him. And he knew all of these things about you before you were born before your mama was born, before her, she was born, before your grandma was born, before the foundation of the earth was laid. He knew you fully. That's kind of terrifying. But there's a really good side to this. Because despite knowing every single wrong thing you would ever do, despite the fact you've never surprised him, you've never caught him off guard, at your worst moments, when you laid in bed at night thinking, how in the world could I have let myself get here? You have not surprised God. Despite that, Jesus still came. Love what Paul says in Romans, that while we were sinning, Christ died for us. Despite the fact that he knows all your junk, he still came. He still substituted himself on the cross so that you wouldn't have to take the punishment of your sin. And still hanging up on that cross, he said, it is finished. And what's so profound about that statement is that when he says it, he's not saying it from a position of ignorance. Like he doesn't know all the junk you're going to do. Like he doesn't know all the junk I'm going to do. He knew all of it. And he still made that statement. It's finished. It's done. So for those that believe in Jesus now, there is zero condemnation. For those that believe in Jesus, they're seen as holy, blameless, and above reproach, not because they actually are, but because Jesus has taken their punishment. Jesus has transferred his righteousness to them. I love how Hebrews writes this, that for all time, for all time, Jesus has made perfect those who are being discipled, those who are being sanctified. What this means is that when you and I come to faith in Jesus Christ, when we go, Jesus, I believe in you, Jesus, I need you, it means every single sin that we're ever going to do, that we've ever done or that we're doing right now is atoned for, cleaned, we're made holy. This is profound news. And what it means is that we do not have to confess constantly to somebody else or to God. Faith in Jesus is what saves us. But, but the Bible all the time encourages us to confess before God and to confess before brothers and sisters. Why? Have you ever heard the saying that you're as sick as your secrets? If you haven't, you just heard it now. Congratulations. There's something very powerful. There's something very liberating. Something that weakens the grip of sin on us when we start opening up about it. When we stop pretending, 
this is the silliest thing that Christians do. When we come into this place and we pretend, the cross has outed every single one of us. There's no big surprise. You're a struggler. I'm a struggler. That's the whole point of Jesus. And when we start getting honest about it, hey, here's where I really am. Hey, man, I'm I'm struggling. Hey, this addiction, I can't seem to put it to death. When we start getting open and honest about that, it's not an immediate fix, but sin starts to lose its grip. The teeth of sin start to lose their bite. So maybe God's calling us to be open before him, to be open before brothers and sisters, not to be forgiven, but because we are forgiven. Maybe God's calling us to be open about our sin because it liberates us. Maybe God's saying, hey, confess and be healed. Because he knows that's what's good for us. This is a real part of our prayer life. We lay these things before the Lord. Lord, I'm struggling here. Lord, help me here. Confession is a very, very healthy practice of the mature man or woman of God. Last point here. Prayer is seeking to make our will the same as God's will. We seek to make our will that of God's will. I'll show you in just a little bit how Jesus himself instructs us to pray that God's will be done in our life. So prayer is not trying to convince God to do what we want. It's more of trying to convince ourselves what God wants. It's not trying to bend God to our will. It's trying to bend our will to God's will. Do you follow me on that? This is what prayer is really about. God, what do you want? Lord, I I put my desires down first, but what do you want, God? What you want is more important than what I want. This is a real healthy part of biblical prayer. Now, with this common ground for all of us to stand on, I want to look at some of the hurdles that keep us from praying, that keep us from having impactful prayer lives. Hurdle number one, I get distracted too easily. I just get distracted too easily. When I preached on this last night, two cell phones went off during this point. It was perfect. It was like, oh, thank you. You made my point so much easier to to talk about. We live without a doubt, without a doubt, in the greatest technologically advanced time ever. And by definition, that means there are so many opportunities for us to be distracted. So I know how it goes, man. We sit down, we try to pray, and we start trying to focus in, and we start going, okay, God, quiet my heart. I just want to be with you. And then all of a sudden, and you feel that in your heart where you're like, my phone, I have to check it. And you check it, and you respond. You tweet real quick, trying to pray, hashtag God rules, and then you put it away, and then you try to, okay, Lord, just focus. God, I just need to get need to get in sync with you and there's just, I mean, distractions abound. And if it's not distractions, maybe it's just, you're too busy. Maybe the moment the alarm clock goes off, I mean, you are running a million miles an hour. You are just booking it all throughout the day and you don't stop until the, until your head hits the pillow. And and all I want to say is, yeah, that's probably the case. Distraction and busyness are two wonderful tools that the enemy uses to keep us from God. There are powerful tools that the enemy uses to rob us of robust, healthy prayer lives. There's a pastor here who has a saying. His name is John Harder. And he says, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And I've always thought that was so profound. Because I don't know what it is about us in the West, but we wear it like a badge of honor. 
Ask anyone. Hey, man, how's your week going? Oh, I'm busy. <laughs> Ask anyone. That's, I mean, that's how we respond. We wear it like a badge of honor. If it's not busy, it's distraction. So how, how do we fight this? I want to show you what Jesus does. I want to show you how Jesus' life is modeled for us. Luke chapter 5, verse 16 reads like this. But he, but Jesus, would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Okay, real quick, who's Jesus? Jesus is the fullness of God in bodily form. That's what Colossians says, that all the fullness of deity is in bodily form in Jesus Christ. So if the fullness of God needed to withdraw and needed to push pause and go, whoa, 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 too much. There's too much going on. I need to go pray. You and I are definitely gonna need to do that. Now, I'm not saying you need to go up to the mountains every morning and pray for like five hours. I'm not saying that. Here's what I'm saying. If you don't have any kind of organized, like structured prayer practice or, or habit of prayer in your life, here's a great place to start. Just five to 10 minutes, five to 10 minutes. And do it at a time of the day when you're actually like alert. You'll hear a lot of pastors say, you need to pray right in the morning. Dude, I am useless for like the first hour of the morning. All right, my, my brain is just not there. It just doesn't work. Find a time where you're alert and you've got just a little bit of breathing room. And here's what it's going to mean. It's going to mean you turn the cell phone off. Not silent, you'll still see it glow. Not vibrate, you'll still hear it. It might mean you have to close the laptop. My coworkers around here probably think I'm crazy because they've come into my office on numerous occasions and have seen me with earplugs in. I wear earplugs because it's hard for me to pray. Like even just a little bit of noise out in the office and I'm like, squirrel, distracted. I'm like, I, I have to have quiet. I have to have quiet. So you're gonna have to be intentional about this. I'm just telling you, it won't happen naturally. It will not happen naturally. Everything about our world is, is designed to keep you busy and to keep you distracted. You'll need to be intentional about carving out a time and place. Even if it's just five to 10 minutes where there's quiet, the phone's not distracting you. I get distracted too easily. I bet. It seems like it's something Jesus had to fight against. If Jesus had to fight against it, we're definitely going to have to fight against it. The second hurdle to prayer in your notes says this. I don't know what to pray. I just don't know what to pray. I go to pray before the Lord and it seems like my mind just blanks. I seem like I'm just a fumbling, mumbling fool before the Lord. I have no clue what to say before him. And so I feel silly, I feel foolish, and it doesn't make me want to pray more. So I just quit. Jesus is going to be very helpful here as he lays out, we call it the Lord's Prayer. It's uh, really more a prayer for the disciples. But this is a very well-known text, and I want to show you what Jesus lays out for prayer here. Let's throw this text up on the screen. Very famous verse, here's what Jesus says. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So here's what Jesus is saying. He's not saying memorize this verse and then just repeat it mechanically. He's not saying memorize this and then just out of a mechanical rote religious expression, you just repeat this with no heartfelt sincerity. That's not what he's saying. He is saying it's a good thing to memorize, but more importantly, we gotta see kind of the structure of what this prayer is like because he starts with worship. He starts by worshiping the Father. 
You're in heaven. You're above us. You reign sovereign over us. You are supreme over us. And hallowed is your name. That means may your name be exalted above everything. Your name is higher than every name. Your authority is above all authority. So he worships. He starts his prayer by worshiping God. And then he prays for the Lord's will. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The same way you call the shots in heaven, would you call the shots in my life? The same way that you make stuff happen in heaven, would you do it here? Would you do it in me? Asks for the Lord's will first. And then we see Jesus asking for provision. Give us this day our daily bread. Provide for us. Give us food. Provide shelter. Provide work. Provide what we need. It's not a selfish thing to ask God to provide for us. The Lord wants to hear that from us. It's good that we depend on God and that we seek him. Continues on. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We see confession there. Forgive me, Lord. And help me to forgive others. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is supplication again. Protect me spiritually. Guard my heart. Guard my mind. Protect me from the sin that so easily entangles. And if this isn't helpful for you, let me offer one other thing. It's not in your notes, but I just want to offer this to you. Uh, I learned this from my grandfather. This was a spiritual practice that he had. And, and what he did for years and years and years, as long as I can remember, he, he prayed the scriptures. He just took Bible verses and he kind of stole them as his own and just prayed them back to the Lord. And we've got tons of godly, wonderful prayers in here that we can just adopt for ourselves. So a couple that I've made my own. Psalm 25, 4. I love David. David's one of the most schizophrenic, up and down writers in the Bible. Like one verse, he's like, Jesus, you're awesome. And the other one, he's like, where are you? You've never, you never answered my prayer. And I'm like, I, I respond to that, man. That resonates with me because I feel like that. David in Psalm 25, four says, make me, make me to know your ways and teach me your paths. <laughs> I just love that he says that because I'm hard headed. And I'm like, Lord, if you don't make me, I'm not going to do it. So make me. God, make me to know your ways. Teach me your paths. Psalm 51.10, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. God, my heart is jacked up. Fix me. Clean me out. Even just for ministry, I pray for you. I can't tell you how many times I've prayed Ephesians 1.18 for you that the Lord would give you wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that you might have the eyes of your heart enlightened to know the glorious hope that is in Jesus, to know the unbelievable inheritance that's waiting for you, to know the unbelievable power that's at work in those who believe. My little son stood over his crib at night not knowing what in the world to pray. I'm a new dad. I don't know how to do this. Looking at him, just, God, what do I even say? And then this verse comes to mind from Numbers chapter six. It's the blessing of Aaron. Aaron was the first high priest. And sometimes I don't pray it verbatim. You know, sometimes it's like the Chad international version. Like there's a little bit of weird Chad influence in there, but you know, it's close. And so I'll look at my little son at night and Let's go, God, would you bless my son? Would you cause your face to shine upon him? Would you lift your countenance up to him, Lord? 
Would you be gracious to him? Would you give him peace, Lord? Oh, God, that he might grow to know and love Jesus with all that he has. Just taking verses right out of the Bible, man, and making them for myself. That's available for all of us. Third point in your notes. Third point in your notes says this, I've just messed up too much. The hurdle to prayer that, that a lot of us, I'm sure, feel as I just, man, I've had a hard week. I did some pretty horrible things last night. I had some pretty horrible things like 20 minutes before I came here. There's no way God could want me right now. There's no way God could hear me. I'm unclean. I'm dirty. I'm rebellious. There's no way. I've been a bad son or daughter. There's no way he'd want to hear from me. I have found that the enemy uses guilt in profound ways to keep us from God. If you missed Pastor Jeremy's message on guilt and grace last week, you need to catch that. Because I believe this is one of the massive struggles of a Christian life. And this is kind of the natural response we have when we sin. It almost feels righteous. It almost feels religious to kind of hide from God and go off into the darkness and, and try to clean ourselves up. It almost feels like the right call to do. This is not what the gospel should produce, though. I've always said, and I'll say it again, that you demonstrate your knowledge of the gospel not when you're doing well. You demonstrate your knowledge of the gospel when you fail. How do you respond to failure? I want to show you what the writer of Hebrews says here. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then with what? Confidence. You didn't sound very confident there. Let us then with what? Confidence. With confidence, with strength, with might. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. You remember, you've got no secrets before God. None. You've never surprised him ever. So that horrible thing that you did, you're like, I can't believe I did that again. You have not caught God off guard. The sacrifice of Christ is still sufficient to cover you. It is still sufficient to make you holy and righteous, even though you're struggling. This means we can go to God for help. Satan loves to keep us back in the shadows trying to fix ourselves. That doesn't work. We're the problem. It doesn't work well when the problem tries to fix the problem. And he loves to keep us there, trying to clean ourselves up and come back to God. No, no, no. When we struggle and fail, we go to God, openly confessing, God, I failed again. Help me. Lord, heal me. Make me new again. He's the one that helps us. So when you feel this, man... I just, I've messed up too much. He, he can't love me. He can't want me. You need to preach the gospel to yourself. No, all my sins, past, present, and future, have been nailed to the cross, and they died there. And I now have the righteousness of Jesus. I can go boldly before him, and he will help me. Last hurdle to prayer. I don't think prayer works. I don't think it works. Now, I want to be careful how I, how I explain this because here's what I'm worried you heard. I'm worried you heard me say, uh, I don't know that the Bible says that it works. No, I'm pretty sure you already demonstrated. You've heard sermons that say prayer works. So you could regurgitate to me the Bible answer. 
You could tell me, oh yeah, the Bible says that the prayers of a righteous man are effective. I'm worried that in your heart of hearts, I'm worried that deep down into your soul, there's a part of your heart that just goes, I don't believe it works. Do you know why I worry about that? Because over the past couple of months, I've been seeing that a lot in my soul. I've been seeing it a lot in my heart. And the Bible's going to explain that there are some things that really do keep our prayers from working. There are some things that really hinder our prayers from actually coming to pass. I'm gonna show you a verse here and I'm just warning you, this verse is going to sting, but I do it because I love you. I do it because I love you. Here's what James chapter one. James is like the pit bull of the New Testament, small, but it's got a lot of bite to it. Um, Here's what it says. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him, but let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. We're gonna go to the next slide. Here's where it gets aggressive. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. (gasps) Ouch! What that text just said is that when we pray, and there's a side of us that goes, yes, I believe, and there's the other side of us that goes, this ain't gonna happen. That text just said, what do you expect is gonna happen? You've already pre-decided in your mind that God can't do this. And man, I started seeing this in myself. And once again, I can't expect you to be honest if I'm not honest with you. So Jeremy, a couple of months ago, starts laying out the vision for 2017. One of the great attributes of Jeremy, he's just an incredible leader, just a great leader at casting vision, showing us where we're gonna be going. The guy's just incredible at it. And he starts talking about Ephesians, that the Lord could do abundantly more than we ask or imagine. And and a part of me is like, okay, yeah, I get that verse. But then another part of me in my heart of hearts was just like, I just don't believe that verse. And I read this text, man, getting ready for this weekend. And I'm like, ouch. So I've been wrestling with this. I've been wrestling, like just trying to be honest in my heart. I just don't know if I believe as much as I should. And I came across a great, a great text that has helped me a lot. And I'm gonna share it with you. In Mark chapter nine, there's, a, there's an account of a father. This father has a demon-possessed son. So much so that the demon-possessed son convulses, foams at the mouth, has fallen into fire, has fallen into water. And the father comes before Jesus and goes, Jesus, if you can help me, please help me. And Jesus responds, if, if I can help you, all things are possible for the Lord. All things are possible for those that believe. And then the father says this, and it is profound. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And when I read that, I was like, oh my goodness, man, that's me. Lord, I believe, but there's a real part of me that just doesn't help me. And the wonderful thing about this text is that Jesus still heals his son. I mean, the father is just honest with Jesus. Lord, there's a part of me that believes, but there's also a real part of me that just doesn't help me. So this is where I've been for the past couple of weeks, man, just wrestling through this. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. God, I want to see you do things far beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. But there's honestly, Lord, a part of my heart that just doesn't buy into it. Help me. 
And this might be our greatest obstacle to prayer. We just don't think it works. One final thing here and I'll close our time up. There's another motivation that James talks about, James chapter four. You desire and and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. When we pray selfishly, the Lord will not answer those prayers. This is why he very clearly tells us to seek his will, to ask for his will to be done. There's two final questions in your notes and they read like this. The first question says, what hurdle is keeping you from having an impactful prayer life? What's your hurdle? What's stopping you from having a great prayer life? A prayer life that impacts yourself and others. And then next, what steps are you gonna take to overcome it? Here's what I know. I don't know much, but I know this. A healthy prayer life will not happen organically. You'll have to be intentional about it. A healthy, robust, impactful prayer life won't happen casually. You're gonna have to work for it. But if we wanna see God do far beyond what we ever ask or imagine, it's worth it. Let's go for it. Like, let's get to November and December of 2017 and let's be able to say God did crazy things because we just prayed and we believed. And even if we were wrestling with unbelief, we still said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Like, let's get to 2017 at the end and go, God, you did the incredible. Would you join me as we pray? Lord, in the best way I know how, I just ask for your help now. Help us, God, to take all, the, all these things that we've heard and use them and apply them. I don't know what the hurdle is for my friends here, God. But I know for me, Lord, I just struggle with really believing you can do the miraculous. God, fix that in my heart. I believe, Lord, but help my unbelief. And would you be gracious enough, Lord, to use our frail, tiny little prayers, God, and, and do mighty big things for your glory, not for us, God, forget us. Forget Shelter Cove, Lord, for your glory, that a bunch of us here would be able to just point to you and lift our eyes to you and say, there's no way this could have happened without Jesus. Help us, God, to be a praying people. And I ask these things in your beautiful name. Amen.